Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We are a movement of men pursuing faith, character, personal growth, and meaningful friendships. If you'd like to learn more about us and our mission to rebuild the American family one man at a time, please visit us at heartofaman.org. We hope you enjoy this lesson from our series called Genesis, Why Is It This Way? I gave my heart to Jesus Christ in 1990 when my wife was 23 weeks pregnant with my first son, Taylor. Taylor was born 11 weeks later. And I can tell you, minutes after that happened, I had these emotions I had never experienced in my life. And they were thoughts more than they were emotions. I felt this unexplainable urgency to find out what a good dad was supposed to be like. I had an unexplainable desire to want to get it right. And I wanted to hear every word God was going to speak to me to tell me how to be a good father. I was overwhelmed with desire to make sure my son Taylor knew and loved Jesus Christ. Those were pouring into my mind as I sat there and held him. Those thoughts were just racing over me. And prior to that day, I never had any of those thoughts and feelings. I had only been saved for months at this point. In 1991, only a year later, I heard Genesis 1 explained for the first time. And when I sat there and heard those words, I knew where those thoughts and feelings had come from. I knew it. I was like, that's where I got those feelings from. Because somebody explained Genesis to me and what was going on in Genesis. And that explained why I had such a desire to take what God had given us and helped us co-create and make it something alive in him. It came from Genesis. The Holy Spirit was calling me to God's plan when my son Taylor was born. God had given me the ability to help him create life. Then he filled me with this passion and this desire to be just like him. It's so stinking cool that we're made in God's image, you guys. It's cool, man. I just love that. And I have dozens of memories like this that have flooded me all week as I studied for this. My mind's just been flooded with memories and memories of how Genesis has changed my life. And God has used me in so many ways. And he's been with me in so many dark places where I watched him bring life where there was nothing. How about you? How has God used you? How has he used your life to bring life to this world? Can you think back? Do you have memories like that? And if you don't, my prayer for you tonight is that this will be the start of that journey for you, just like it was for me. That moment when God said, now, now, I was 30 years old. Same time when he said, Jesus, now. He said it to me when I was 30. He said, now you're going to start to do the work I've built you for. Tonight in Genesis 1, from the creation story, we're going to learn about God's team, his design, his image, and his thoughts about rest. And as I said, my hope for you tonight is that you're going to walk out of here with a deep sense of clarity around who you are and what's your purpose. Let's start with prayer, you guys. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you so much. We ask you to come now and be with us. We've got 20 minutes to hear your voice, Lord, and I pray so desperately now, Lord, that whatever I do, whatever I say, whatever words come out don't sound like me, but they're you, and that your words are spoken and your voice is heard, Lord. Lord, I pray that these guys will, in fact, turn off their phones just for 20 minutes, just to give you time and start to get in a rhythm of a structure that you've created so that they will know each other and know you, Father. Help us hear you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come now. In your name we pray. Amen. 
Well, guys, from Genesis 1 and John chapter 1, we learn about God's team, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is the first biblical introduction of a triune God or the Trinity. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but it's a word that describes this. Our best picture of this Trinity is when Jesus was baptized. And you can go find that at the beginning of Matthew. And where we saw in this moment when Jesus comes out of the water and God says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased, his voice is heard. And then a spirit, the dove, it looks like a dove, but it wasn't a dove. It was the spirit of God came down and it rested upon him. And in that moment, this Trinity was very visible. God, the son and the Holy Spirit together, separate, yet one. In Genesis, we see it in a different way. God reveals a vision. And this is God does. He has a vision for what he's going to create. So he talks about this vision and he creates that. We're going to create life from nothing. He casts this vision. And then the spirit of God gets sent out. He goes ahead of God. God sees this vision and he sends his spirit out to work over that dark space. And the spirit of God rests and works in that dark space. And then the word of God, Jesus speaks and he transforms that dark place into life. The Spirit of God indwells that space now that Jesus has spoken and he turns it into a sanctuary for God. This is exactly what we see in the salvation of all man's souls. God desires all men to be saved. That's his vision. How do we know that? Because in John 3.16, he says, for God so loved the world all of mankind, that he sent his son. He's got a vision for all men being saved. This is what God's heart is. So God tells the Holy Spirit. He talks to Jesus, says, my vision is that all men will be saved. And he sends his Holy Spirit out to hover over the dark souls of the men in the world. And then the word of God is spoken. While the Holy Spirit is over that heart, the, the word of God enters the word of God enters. Somebody speaks the word of God. The word of God is spoken. Jesus Christ is brought into that situation. The vision of God, the Holy Spirit is present, and then the word of God happens. And for those who believe that word, they're saved. And then the Holy Spirit inhabits that man, seals him, marks him as saved for all eternity. And then this happens. God says to everyone, this is my son. He's made in my image now. And he declares that man a child of God. And he builds that man into his image through the power of the Holy Spirit working through that man for the rest of his life. That's what the team looks like and that's how it works. And I hope you can see in this how critical the word of God is in this process. God spoke and everything was created. In John 1, we learned that the words of God are Jesus. They're packed with power. When we study the Bible constantly, it transforms us. Why? Because it's the word. It's Jesus Christ himself. When we read the word, we become like the word. That's what we're supposed to do because that's who we're supposed to be like. His words also empower us in this way. It helps us to move other people from death to life. When we speak God's words, they have power. You've been given that God says, you have authority to speak my word. And when you speak my word, it will carry power. And it has that same power. We, you, us, we're empowered, every one of us, with speech, just like God. And when we speak his words, we help God create life. We do when we speak his words. And you know what happens when you speak your words. Yeah, you see it all the time. The spoken word is the most common form of what creates war, 
and death is the spoken word. It's man's word. But when you speak God's word, the exact opposite happened. Life happens. God said in Isaiah 55, 11, so it is my word that goes out from my mouth and it will not return to me empty. Not ever, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. He says, you speak God's word. When you speak my word, I promise you, it will not go out void. It will change things. Life will happen. Transformation will happen. Speak my words. I had one person in my life. I know this is going to be surprising to you, but one, one that spoke over me words of prophetic transformation. It was my grandma. I lived with my grandma for six years as a little boy from when I was three to when I was nine. And I grew up in Texas, and so my name's William Joseph. My grandma called me Billy Joe. I don't really hope you'll call me that, but that's okay if you do. So, but I remember my grandma was uneducated. She had an eighth grade education. She was a vegetable farmer. She was an Italian lady, and she worked her whole life. That's all she did, just she knew how to work. But she loved me. She cared for me. She, had a prayer to, she grew up Catholic. She had prayer beads that were worn smooth, just smooth. Like you, there wasn't a spot on them that had been prayed over. And I remember when I was just getting ready to leave to go to move to Chicago to start living with my mom again, my grandma looked at me and she said, one day you're going to be a priest. And I, and I can tell you, and that, I remember it. I can see her eyes. I remember the sound of her voice. I remember how bad she smelled. Um, I mean, <laughs> she was old. She didn't smell good. Um, but I remember that. You know what I'm saying? You remember that. And I remember looking me in the eyes and say, one day you'll be a priest. And I would say she was right. I'm a priest over my home. I'm a priest among men. I'm a, I was a priest among the people that work for me. And what's a priest? It's someone that simply preaches God's word. She was right. But that spoken word over me always stuck in my mind. And it made me want to be that. It carried power in me for my whole life. I've always thought of that. My grandma wanted me to that. that. She told me I would be that. I'm telling you guys, when you speak words, choose God's words. And when you speak over a man, speak God's words to bring life to him. Be prophetic over him. Don't speak criticism. Don't speak anger. Don't speak hatred. That kills people. But when you speak God's word over somebody and you bless them with the power of his words, you transform what's going on in their heart and life, and it brings life. It brings life. What language of yours needs to be replaced with God's words? In what situation do you need to start speaking God's words instead of yours? In the second piece here we see in Genesis 1, God's design unfold. God's design. He had a plan. He had a structure and he had a process. God had a plan. His plan was to create a place where he and his family could live together, us, a sanctuary where everything was in harmony. And when he got done building it all and he put man in it, he looked at it all first and said, it's good. Then he put man in it and he said, that's very good. And why? Because it was all now working together as it was designed because man was now in charge. Man was the pinnacle of creation to subdue, take dominion, and run that operation. And once he plugged him in, it all worked as it should. And God said, that's what I had in mind. It's very good. Guys, the Jewish people call that shalom. Some of us think, oh, that means peace. No, 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 shalom is more than that. It means everything's in harmony. 
Everything's right as God has designed it. Shalom is a thing. It's a place. It's not just one sense of peace. It's all is well together. God created us to build shalom with him, things that are very good. That's what we're to do with him. God had a structure in mind, a planet with land, an atmosphere over that land that would keep light just at the right proportion and oxygen and and the levels just in the right proportion and the heat levels just in the right proportion, atmosphere, water, light. And then he filled all of that with man and living creatures, all living in harmony with each other. And then he put that all under influence of a system of time that created seasons and times and structure that would cause our bodies to function with the rhythm of life. And it would always point us back to him always point us back to him. And then God had a process to create it. Here's his process. He stated his vision. He commanded it to exist. He described what he was going to make. He declared it to be good. And then he said, it took one day. And then he repeated it six times. That's a process. God uses planning, structure, and a process. And he designed our bodies to operate at their very best inside that design. Our hormones work best when we're in the right lighting. Our weight is best when we consume the right foods. And he told us what they were, seed-filled plants. Our emotions are at their very best when we're with the right people. And our minds are at their very best when we hear the right words. And we get joy in our soul when we sing music together. This is how he designed us, this structure, this design, this process all brought into harmony. And when we stay inside that structure, we find we're at our very best. Our heart, our mind, our spirit and emotions are at their very best when we align and when we cooperate with God's design. In Psalm 16, five through six, God, uh, uh, David wrote these words that God had put on his heart. He said, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Can't you picture this? Surely I have a delightful inheritance. David's looking at this vast world and he's like, it's good. It's good when I stay inside this structure. Guys, I see men struggle when there's a lack of structure in their life. I really do. It's when I struggle too. You know, when there's nothing to do, we do nothing. Isn't it true? When there's nothing to do, we do nothing. When we are anxious, afraid, selfish, discontent, lustful, or angry, it's a very good sign we're moving outside the boundary lines that God has built. And I could tell you, I need structure in every area of my life. I need it. I've got to have it. Without it, I feel lost. I feel bored. And boredom for me is a big deal, man. When I get bored, my wife's like, you are not good. (laughs) She doesn't enjoy me at all. I get discouraged when I'm bored. I feel I don't have purpose, I get frustrated, I get lustful, I get selfish, I get jealous, and I feel lonely. I heard a talk about structure, and it made me realize I needed structure in a lot of places in my life. And one of those was at work. When I was a young CEO, my business was growing quickly. We had hundreds of employees, we had multiple plants, and the people around me were observing my leadership and saying, I think you're a bit emotional. Um, and I was thinking, well, I don't, I don't, I think it's good. It's called passion. And people were like, yeah, you can call it that. Um, (laughs) you know, some people call anger, passion, right? So that's me. I I justify it. Um, and I started to explore that with some of my staff and and people were saying the limit on your leadership is going to be your emotional capacity. And I'm like, what does that mean? 
And so I talked to a consultant. They said, you know what? You need some structure in your leadership that will help you get management skills. And so I started exploring that. I spent eight years in Vistage, Convene, and Townsend Leadership Program. I, I took an eight-year period where I just got deep into structural training on how to build structure around me that would create a healthy me. And I'll tell you, the last one, the Townsend Leadership Program had the most impact on how to get my emotions under control, how to see how they impact me, what was causing them, what I need to pay attention to, how they're affecting the people around me, how to develop a vocabulary. And so now we've got these heart groups that came out of that where we teach young men that, we teach old men that. <laughs> I'm one of them. Um, and we all start, we practice structural emotional language so that when we get into these situations, we're all better in a place where emotions need to be managed well. Structure in that place brings tremendous value to the lives of our, of our families. I think this is a good area, and so you got to start asking yourself, where is the structure in my life lacking where I need to add some real structure and I need to get some help? You know, I need to get somebody to look into my life. Where am I going to get some help? And it was a lady that had coached me in this area, and she said, Bill, you're a common CEO. You think you got it all together. They think you know how to do everything. You think you know, and you don't need anybody's help because you're an entrepreneur and you start things, and you, you kind of think you're a know-it-all. And I'm like, well, maybe, you know. <laughs> and I am a know-it-all. I do get that way, and I do think I know a lot. And, and I, I heard her. I'm like, she's right. And the key to that was listening to somebody say, you need structure where you don't have it, right? This is a big deal, you guys. It meant a lot to me. And I applied that in another area, and it was in my, uh, I had an ACL tear one year. It was about nine years ago, and I, and I knew I was going to have to have surgery, and I wanted the surgery to happen so that I could have, I could ski in March, because I snow ski in March every year, and it's, it's just really important to me. I love it. It just it's just important to me. So I, I'm not having this ACL get my way. I want to get ready for that. So I, I went out to a gym and I found a trainer in January. I was going to have the surgery the next, that September and then ski the next March. So I found a trainer in January so that I could get my legs built up and strong, go through the, the, uh, go through the surgery and then go right back to skiing in March. And so I hired the trainer for that purpose. I've been with that trainer for nine years. Haven't left. And you know why? I get something way different than strong legs. And I know you're going to say, you need to do more leg day. I got it. I know. Okay, I got it. So um, I got this. I got courage and I got confidence out of working out. Having a structure three days a week with a guy sitting next to me going, you got more than that. You need to push. You're, 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 you're not there, Bill. Let's go. I need you to push harder, right? You know, your heart rate's at 130. You can get to 170, right? So, and I did last week, and my wife about died. She's like, 170? You know, I'm like, yeah, that's too high. Um, but that structure, you know, when you go work out and you start working out with a trainer, you get those kinds of emotional gifts. You get courage and you get confidence. That's what structure does, though. It allows you to find those emotional capacities you can't get on your own. And you need somebody outside of your life to bring that into your life. And so you got to ask yourself, and you got to be honest, where am I lacking structure? Where do I need help? And you got to go ask for help. And then you got to submit to it. And that was the hard part for me. And that was the coaching I got from that gal. She said, when you go get somebody to structure and coach you, you have to submit to them. I had a guy that looked at my, uh, I had a personally personality profile done, and the guy looked at it and he said, Bill, your personality profile is one of somebody that's unemployable. 
And I was like, well, that's kind of insulting. And he's like, true, you are so autonomous, nobody will, will, you won't listen to anybody. You won't sit under anybody's leadership. That's a problem. And I was like, oh, oh my goodness. And that's exactly what that woman said to me. She said, you're uncoachable. You need to sit under the structure of something and humble yourself and soften so that you can start changing and growing and listening to people that can see your weaknesses. And I did. I could tell you I did. And that has been transformational for me. And so I would encourage you, are you like that? Are you uncoachable? Are you the kind of person that thinks you got it all together? I would dare say you probably don't, and you should let somebody help you with the places where you need structure. Where do you need structure in your life right now? The next thing we're going to see is man was made in the image of God. God said, let us make man in our image. Now, for you guys that thought God had a mouse in his pocket, he didn't. Us and our make it clear God is talking about someone that looks like man. And the only person that was there at that time that looked like man was Jesus Christ. In John, we learned that Jesus was there in the beginning. The word was with God in the beginning, and the word is God. Jesus came as a man, not just as a spirit. Therefore, God said we were made in the image of Jesus. This week, I discovered something that has captured my heart. I've been looking at my boys, and I mean looking at them staring at their features. I watch them play with their children. I just watch them and I watch them with their children and I stare at their children and I can see myself in them and their children. And it makes me feel so much love for them. And I don't know why, but it does. But with those thoughts right next to them, of course, there's always the devil. And he comes to my head and says, I wonder what your biological dad looks like. I don't know. My dad left when I was two. And I sit and I wonder what he looks like. And I wonder if I look like him. And I wonder if he walks and talks like me. It makes me sad. I'm never going to know. As I was feeling that this week, and I was praying and asking God to speak to my soul. I heard these words. He said, Bill, I could hear God speak. He said, Bill, you look like me. We have the same eyes. We laugh the same, and we care about the same stuff. You're my son. And I, guys, I've been believing this stuff for 32 years. I honestly have. I've given my life to God for 32 years, but I've never, ever felt. I never felt to miss my dad. But I did this week for the first time. God wants me to subdue creation and take dominion over it, you guys, and that is the purpose he gave me. He wants me to behave like him. He's my dad. He wants me to bring life to darkness because that's what he does. He wants me to bring life to dead places because that's what my dad does. My dad says, take dominion, bring life. He creates places where life flourishes, and that's what he wants me to do. And he expects me to do it the way he does it, with structure and design and with purpose. Jesus said, I came so they would have life and have it abundantly. 
And my dad said, that's what you need to do. Man, we've been made in the image of God. You too. You have his eyes. You have his smile. You talk like him. You think like he does. You make funny names for your friends just like he does. Guys, we have one job, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, and that's to bring life. That's what he did in Genesis. He brought life. And that's your only job. Wherever you are, he's like, just bring life. Just bring life. And how do you do that? You bring Jesus. You just bring him with you. Wherever you go, you just bring Jesus because he's the life, right? He just says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So just bring Jesus with you wherever you go, and you bring life. And he's calling you to do that. That's your whole purpose. And when you do that, things flourish. People flourish. Families flourish. Homes flourish. Cities flourish. Things flourish when you bring Jesus, guys. They do. When you go without him, not much happens, and oftentimes destruction happens. That's why men are called toxic. But when you bring Jesus, there ain't no toxic in that, man. What do you need right now to accept this as your life purpose? What is keeping you from feeling and hearing the voice of your dad? The last thing we see is that God rested on the seventh day. You know, when we hear rested, we think someone's tired. It's kind of funny to think of God as tired and needing a nap. Well, the fact is he wasn't tired and he didn't need a nap. It's the word rested that we misinterpret because it doesn't mean he rested. It meant he stopped working. We see in Exodus 20, God gave Moses 10 commandments. And one of those commandments was to keep the Sabbath holy. Sabbath means the day of rest. Holy means set aside for God's purpose. God commanded us to stop working after six days. This is not optional. God commanded us to stop working after six days. It's not optional. Jesus said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Does that sound like the Sabbath is optional? It's not. So why do we need to stop working? We get physically and emotionally drained from working six days. We get separated from God when we work six days. We get into disputes and conflicts with people. We get worn out emotionally when we're at work for six days. And we get separated from our families when we work for six days. Now, some people think seventh day means literally the seventh day of the week. For Jews, this was Saturday. They call that Shabbat. But the text doesn't really say that exact day. It says, yes, you, work, you shall work for six days, then stop. Which means whatever six days you work are the ones you should work. And after six days, stop and don't work the seventh day. Pick whatever day works for your life. Remember this. Sunday is the hardest working day for the people that work in the church. So are they violating the Sabbath on Sunday? Or are we misinterpreting the day? I had a plant. I had three plants. We had ran around the clock 24 hours a day. So we had three shifts operating that. I did that for years, and I, had, I closed the plants on Sunday. And one day, one of the employees came in randomly and sat with me and said, do you realize Sunday's not a day of rest for me? And I said, well, tell me more about that. And they said, you know what I got to do on Sunday? I got to cook. I got to clean. I got to grocery shop. I got to do the lawn. I got to help get the kids ready for school. My day on Sunday is just a train wreck because I got to work six days a week. 
here. I'm like, well, how did that happen? We've only got you on a five days. Because I need the money, so I work overtime. And I'm like, what? So I got all my people together and said, how do we create three days off for our employees? And they said, well, that's easy. We go to four shifts and we do 12s. And within days, they had a whole map of multiple options. So I went back to that employee and said, would this get you a day of rest? And she said, oh, yeah, three days off will give me a day of rest. I said, will you take a day of rest if I do that? She said, absolutely. And I made that happen. We switched all of our plants to four shifts and went to multiple hour shifts where there were 10 or 12 and got everybody three days off so that people could get a day of real rest, not a make-believe one that was making me feel good. So you got to ask yourself, what's your schedule look like? Can you take a, se a seventh day off? And I'm telling you, you have to. God's word says it's not optional. You have to take a day off. What day do you need to stop working? And God also said in this, God's work is good. He said, it's good. And, so, and at the end, he said, it's very good. He said, all the work was good, and God defines good, not you. And that's critical. When we get into chapter three, this is going to be an important point. God defines what is good, not us. When we define what is good, it's no longer good. He said, after adding man, it was very good, and we're made in his image, which we were built to work. So God said, work is very good. This is an important thing. There's a whole theology of work. I go to colleges every year when I was in our, in our business. We, had a, we spent 10 years going to Africa. And we had a young man that worked in Africa. He still works for us. His name was Wahabo Innocent. We created an award. It was called the Businesses Missions Award. And we, we'd give it to the young, young senior student that would best exemplify how to bring Christ to the workplace. Christ to the workplace. Business is missions. And so we really believe that there's a theology of work that's critical in this space, you guys. God says work is good, and in that work, something good is going on with God. We're meant to work. We're built for work. This is how we're designed. And our six days of work should include these things. Work to provide for provisions. Work to serve our family. And serving your family is work, and you all know it is. So call it that. Work to serve the body of Christ and work to serve your community. All four of those should be part of your work palette. Serve your family, or serve your, get your provisions, your family, the body of Christ, and your community. All four of those need to be part of your definition of work. Provisions, family, body of Christ, community. All four in your provision of work. The Apostle Paul said, work is unto the Lord. And so God says, when you're doing those six days of work, work as unto the Lord. What does that mean? It means when you're in that work, you bring light to that work. Whatever that category is, if you're in any one of those four you're working in, you bring light to that work. What does that mean? Jesus. You bring Jesus to work. And I know there's days I can't bring Jesus to work. That's a lie. That's not true. And it's not illegal. That's a whole other subject. You can come talk to me and I will grill you on this. You can bring Jesus to any place in this country right now. You are free to do so, and you need to bring Jesus to work. Bring him to work. That's what light looks like in all four categories. When I work with my family, I bring light. I bring Jesus. When I work in my community, I bring Jesus. When I work in my church, I bring Jesus, right? You bring Jesus to work no matter where you go. That's what work should be about. And then God says you got to work six days, six days, some men work too much, which was always me, and some too little. The text is clear. You were built for six, not more, not less. Some of you guys need to stop working seven days. Some of you need to start working a lot more than you are. 
Some of you guys think less work means more life balance. That's the American lie. Life balance comes from working those four areas I discussed. And you need all six days to work those four areas. Trust me, you do. The seventh day is the only day we should stop working. And that's biblical life balance. You work your tail off for six days and you take the day of rest off. That's life balance. The American story of life balance with four days of work and three, you know, three days off or three days of work and four days off is malarkey. God said you work six days. Men of God, we work six days. Let's step it up, right? This is what you're called to do. Step it up, move up. Don't buy into the American life balance story. It's not true and it's not good for you and it's not good for your family. What change do you need to make in your work schedule to align with God's definition of work? And the last thing he talks about is rest, is this idea of rest in the Sabbath. Now, you're going to hope I give you some great insight into this. I cannot. I have failed here miserably. I mean, this was, this was humiliating for me to have to write this. I've been doing this for 32 years. I've been teaching the Bible for 15 years. I, I, I'm humiliated having to think about this. I sat Saturday and I wrote this section, exactly what I just said to you, and said, okay, God, where am I? And he said, you failed at keeping the Sabbath. You work every Sunday. If you look at my calendar, you'll see every Sunday, write the lecture, call the guys. I got all this heart of a man work, all plugged in Sunday, every day, every week. And God was like, and you're gonna tell these guys that you got it. So I'm confessing I don't, you guys. I've been terrible at this. I took Sunday off this week. I did. I just couldn't stand here and tell you I didn't. I didn't have the heart. I was, I was so humiliated. And I've heard from lots of guys. I took Sunday off. I'm wandering around my house like a zombie. <laughs> I have nothing to do, so I did nothing. So I'm just like, what do you do, right? And so Thomas is like, the Bengals are on, you know, like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that'll do it for me. Um, and so I watched some football, and I read, and I, I tr I'd fall asleep, and then I'd get up. I, it was just a mess. It was a total train wreck. I, I, it was bad. And I'm like, I've, I've written topics on how to be restored during the Sabbath. I've got pages of notes on this, pages of notes. I should be doing restorative things, right? That restores me, that brings me back to life. I should be playing. I be, should be singing. I should take a nap. I should walk. I should pray. I should be out in nature. I should be with people who I love. I, I don't know how to rest. Ask my kids. I don't know how to do it. It's a, I'm a train wreck here. So I know you guys are going to pour all this stuff on me. I deserve it. I need structure. I need help here. I'm just saying I do. I'm, I'm not good here. But one thing I can tell you to do, all you young guys that play a lot of video games, stop doing that on the Sabbath. Just stop. Stop watching Tillman's TV. Stop web browsing. Stop doing all that. None of that draws you to Jesus. That I know. That I know because I've done some of that and it does not. What it does is reinforce bad habits and creates bad thinking patterns. On the other hand, reading, exercising, praying, getting outside, those things are restorative. And I do that during the week, but I don't do it for a whole day. Like the whole day of that's like, it's a nightmare for me. I'm going to, you guys, I'm going to. I look forward to the flood of your emails coming in to tell me how to rest. And I'm praying this year, you guys are gonna help me learn to stay in the moment. You know, I wrote my life plan two weeks ago and one of my key, key objectives, I don't set goals, I set directions. One of my key directions for this year is to learn to stay in the moment. And the Sabbath is gonna be one of the things that's gonna help me do that. So help me do it, you guys. I look forward to your feedback. How does your day of rest need to change? 
Be honest with yourself. I heard a lot of guys talking about the Sabbath and a lot of guys know a lot about it. I don't think a lot of you guys take the Sabbath seriously either. I really don't because I see a lot of you guys. You don't take it either. You, you do it what I do it. You pencil whip it. What do you need to do to change the day of rest so it looks like what God called? In 1991, I was 30 years old. It was summer, and I was sitting in Folsom Field in Boulder, Colorado with 22,000 men. It was the second Promise Keepers event. I had traveled by myself. By the end of the weekend, I had heard 16 speakers, and I sang music I had never heard in my life. I grew up Catholic. I'd never seen men raising their hands. I'd never heard a black preacher scream and sweat. I'd never seen that in my life. And talk with passion and with power and with this love for Jesus Christ. And it just swept me off my feet. I mean, it took my breath away. I called my wife. I'm on a payphone. I'm like sticking money in. Yeah, I had it. I had nickels and stuff, and I'm putting it in, and I'm calling her from a payphone at the stadium, and it's got a cord hanging out the back and stuff. And I'm like, Susie, you're never going to believe this. I'm crying. I can't talk. She's like, what's wrong? She's like, I'm, my life's changing. Like, I'm completely changing. Like, God's like all over me. He's like on top of me. He's, there's guys touching me. There's people praying over me. I'm screaming. We're crying. Like, stuff's going on. It's crazy here. I'm changing. And she's like, okay, come home soon. <laughs> And through all of that, the explanation of Genesis happened, you guys. That was a year after I'd been saved, a year after my son was born. And that's when I heard the explanation of Jesus. That was the context when Genesis was explained to me. And in that space, I saw Jesus come to life and I heard him speaking to me. This is what you do. And you do it with men. Man, I felt so convicted. I felt so focused. I felt so stinking empowered to overcome the loss of my dad. I was a dad. I was a husband. And I was a business owner. And I had a playbook. And every part of my life was written in that book. And I left there jacked. I know what to do now. And I bought a T-shirt for my son. My, this is what he got. He was only a baby. It was the only size they had. But it says, my dad loves me. And I was just like, Jack, I got a boy. I got a little boy. And I got him his first T-shirt from Promise Keepers. I mean, guys, that was just unbelievable. 31 years ago, and so as I'm writing this today, 31 years later, I'm looking back over a lifetime, a lifetime, 31 years of memories being obedient to Genesis chapter 1. And I've got thousands of stories. So many of these things were, these words came to life and God directed me and he showed me and he told me what to do and he pointed me in a direction and I listened and I followed and I watched life happen. I watched it with my eyes. I saw people come to life because he used me and said, go there, say that, speak that. And there are these words in Genesis. It's overwhelming, you guys. Genesis 1 and 2 have changed every part of my life. There's nothing that has been untouched by the scripture. And I am overwhelmed. This week, I was overwhelmed with joy. All I did was walk around and smile all week. I so badly want the same for you. I so badly wish this was a stadium at Folsom Field and we could be jumping up and down and sweating and screaming and crying right now. I so wish you could feel that because it's life-changing. But that's why I'm here. 
It's that purpose. Jesus said, you're with these men. This heart of a man place is committed to help you have that experience. We want that for you. We want you to know your purpose, and we want you to know who you are. So I'm praying right now that Genesis 1 is making that clear because you are made in his image. You are made in his image, and he wants you to do what he does, bring life everywhere you go that's dark. Bring life to that place. That's your call. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you so much, oh, Lord, for our playbook and for your team and your plan and rest. Oh, precious Jesus, help us follow your playbook, Lord. Help me rest this week, Lord. Help me be obedient. Lord Jesus, help these men study your word every week, every single day this week. Help them not falter, no excuses, none. Lord, help us come back this week strong and empowered and ready because we felt you in our soul. We want to follow you, precious Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.